Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger. Unfortunately, uh, Wilkie today is having a few uh, home repair needs that he couldn't be with us, but I am so thrilled and excited to have Greg Smedley Warren on the podcast today. Greg, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I I finally am kind of coming down off of a a pretty busy uh, three-week time period. I had had two weddings the last... um, three weekends and then the other weekend in between I was in Las Vegas for a conference so I uh this is kind of the first week of the summer that I am finally starting to wind down so it so it feels pretty good so I'm doing well well good I'm glad awesome so um super excited again thrilled that you take some time to to be with us and and what we try to do with our podcast Greg is just to bring teachers on uh and give them an opportunity to to tell their story and really try to get the story out there of, of what really is going on in education and what teachers are really doing. Cause oftentimes we feel like the only press that teachers really get is negative press. And we want to make sure that, you know, we're doing our part to, to tell the story of what, you know, what teachers are really like and what they're really doing. Absolutely. And I, I, I say this all the time that no one is telling our story and the only people who can tell our story are the teachers. And right. so if, if we're not speaking up and using our voices, then no one's going to hear the story of the amazing things that happen in the classroom every single day. Awesome. So thank you Absolutely. for what you guys are doing. Yeah, man, we appreciate that. So um, to get started, could you just tell us a little bit of your, uh, your background and how it is that you became a teacher? Yeah, so um, I'm one of those people that always knew exactly what I wanted to do. Um, so I always wanted to be a teacher, um, my third grade teacher. Um, Mrs. Sears was phenomenal, and we're we're actually still friends today. So it was it was her that really inspired me um, to become a teacher. But it it was that thing that I always knew I wanted to do it, and so um, that's what I did. And I talk to people all the time, and you know they're like, "You're so lucky that you always knew." And it it, it was that one thing that that that's, that's it. And so um, that's really how I became a teacher. And um, I started in fifth grade and spent two years in second grade. And at the end of um, two years in second grade, my principal moved me very much against my will to kindergarten, which was kind of my like my limit. I always said never kindergarten and never um, higher than third grade. And so I got moved to kindergarten and I actually called my mom and cried um, (laughs) because I had like I had no desire to do kindergarten. It, it was terrifying to me. Um, but that first year um, in kindergarten, that very first day on that first year, I absolutely fell in love and knew that I'd found my calling and my passion. Uh, so I'm thankful that that I had a principle that kind of forced me um, out of my comfort zone, and uh, which allowed me to find my calling and my passion and where I belong. Right, right on. And, and, you know, we had a conversation last week just to kind of get prepared. And I, I told you, like, I, I have such an appreciation for for anyone that does like anything below like fifth grade, because I just and maybe I'm, you know, we're, we're all bred different. And, you know, I think now, because I had a, I wouldn't say it was a bad experience, but I was substitute teaching right out of college and had one day in second grade and vowed I would never go back to an elementary school. <laughs> Because the kids just ate me alive. And now that I'm, you know, in my mid-30s, I think if I were to go back to an elementary, I would have a better understanding of of what what the kids need. But I, I have a lot of appreciation for you. So, you know, kind of on that vein, you know, what do you think is the value of a really great teacher? 
I, th I think the value of a really great teacher is that when we show up every single day, we get to impact the lives of our students. And in for a kindergarten teacher, I can, I can honestly say that I see that every single day. Like I can see those moments every day. Um, and I think it gets a little more challenging as the kids get older, but we truly make a difference for so many of our kids. And, you know, you hear teachers all the time who, who get these amazing opportunities to hear from former students and how they've changed, you know, their lives. And because of them, they went to college or because of, because of a great teacher, they, they did, you know, this or that. And so I think the value of a great teacher is that we, we truly impact the lives of our students. And I think sometimes it's, it's very easy to lose sight of that with all of the stuff that gets in the way. Um, but it's something I, I always encourage teachers to remember is that every single day you make a difference um, in big ways and small ways. And it may not show up today, next week, but five, 10, 20 years down the road because of, of you and that time in your classroom, you changed the life of a child. Um, and nothing, no curriculum, scope and sequence, no standardized test can ever do that. It's the, the, that's the value of a great teacher. Right. You know, and kind of on, on that same vein, so if, if you could say there was one thing that you had to teach kids through the year, you know, just one particular thing, if, if, you could, if we could say to you, like, we can guarantee you could teach kids this one thing during the school year, what would that one thing be? The, the one thing I always hope to teach my kids is that everyone matters and everyone um, is valued and important. Um, there's just, there's so much hate in our world. And I want, every year I have the opportunity to, with, you know, 20 kids, that's 20 people that hopefully I can um, impact enough to where they, they value everyone and they see everyone as equal and deserving. And that, that, that tolerance and that, that kindness and that love for everyone is, is the one thing um, that, that I have to teach my kids every year. Um, because I think it's without that, there's nothing else. And so um, that's, that's something we work on in our classroom from day one is, is that, that tolerance and that acceptance um, and kindness. Right. And, and to that, you know, you, you're alluding to, you know, the world we live in. What, what do you think is the state of American education right now? Well, like you said earlier, if, if we listen to what we hear on the news and if what we see on social media, you would think that the, our teachers are failing their kids, schools are failing their kids, but that's absolutely not the case. Teachers are not failing the kids. Schools are not failing the kids. The politicians and the people in charge, they are failing our kids. The state of education right now in our country is 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 good and bad. It's good because we have classrooms all over this country full of students who are there to learn and grow. And those kids show up every single day and in spite of everything going on in their lives, they show up, they give 110% and they do amazing things every day. 
And the same can be said for teachers in that classroom. We show up and in spite of all the stuff that's thrown at us and all the things that are put in our way, we show up and we do an amazing job of teaching our kids. Um, so in that way, the state of education is good. But if you if you look at the bigger picture with, you know, policies and testing and, you know, developmentally inappropriate expectations and standards and curriculum and, and all of that stuff, then the state of education um, has a lot of improvement um, that it needs. But I think the more the teachers use their voice, the more that we rise up and speak for our kids and our profession, the more we can we can make those make that change that needs to happen. Um, and so, it, it's you know we're we're in that place where I think we might be seeing a little, little bit of movement um, towards towards better things happening in education, um, but it's a struggle. And so, just we can't give up. Um, and we can't we can't get overwhelmed by all of the stuff and the negativity. So, I th I think I have an understanding of what you mean by develop me developmentally inappropriate you know standards and expectations. Could you expand on that a little bit? Because I th I think there's maybe at least with me I think there's a little bit of confusion. But um, what do you exactly mean when you say there's developmentally developmentally inappropriate standards? So, like, looking at kindergarten expectations, um, kindergarten has basically become the new first grade. Um, and it's, you know, it's become such an academic year when it used to be, you know, a very social experience for the kids where they, they learned how to, you know, share and take turns and be friends and, and kind of how to do all of those things. And now you don't have that anymore. Um, and, you know, we we're pushing our kids my kids every, are expected to read at a little D by the end of the year. And some kids just are not developmentally ready to get to that point. And, but it doesn't matter. They have to be there. Um, I can give you a couple of concrete examples from my district right now that we're, we're struggling with. Um, we have to read anchor text every week, um, an anchor text that our district has chosen. And they're complex text but we're talking like third and fourth grade level text that I'm reading to kindergartners. Most of my kindergartners are EL students. And so it there, you can read a complex text to your kids, but when you're talking, you know, third, fourth grade level, that's inappropriate um, for kindergartners. Um, so just, you know, things that we know by looking at research and best practices that kids should be doing in our classrooms, they're not doing because we're being mandated to do other things um, that, that aren't in the best interest of our kids. Right, right. You know, and, and to that point, we were, we were talking last week, and I didn't realize that Nashville was such a diverse city. So could you, um, you know, kind of off the point we were just talking about, expand on, you know, the diversity of Nashville and, and what makes you know, particularly what you were saying with, with the literacy and that stuff challenging when you, you said you have students that speak six different languages. Yeah. So, um, Nashville and I, people are always surprised when they hear how diverse Nashville is. And the reason behind that, a big reason behind that is, um, several years ago and gosh, it's probably been, you know, 10 years or longer when Nashville was was still a very affordable place to to live, a lot of charities would um, resettle refugees in Nashville. Um, it was a good sized city. It was very affordable. 
with a lot of opportunities. And so it, it became an area where we had a large influx of refugees. And so that's really what drove the diversity of our city, which of course now drives the diversity in our schools. So my classroom and my school, we are about, we run anywhere from 90 to 95% ELL. Um, and so in my classroom this past year, I, my kids spoke six different languages. Um, and so, and people, people are always shocked by that um, because you don't, you just don't associate Nashville with, with that level of diversity. And so, you know, I have kids who come in, I'll have, you know, a couple that speak fluent English. And then I have a lot of kids who speak no English at the beginning of the year. And so, you know, it's, it's a very challenging situation, but it's amazing to watch as the kids pick up the language and, and start to be able to express themselves excuse me, express themselves and participate in the, in the conversations. Um, but yeah, it can, it can be challenging and, and sometimes frustrating because you want to be able to communicate a certain thing to the child. They want to be able to communicate back to you. And, you know, that language barrier can really get in the way sometimes. And, and you know, it's, it's frustrating for an adult and even more so for the kids when, when they can't express what they need or want um, because of language. So... So on that point, I, kind of a two-pronged question, you know, what is the importance of, of in your situation with those ELL students building, you know, real relationships and, and how do you go about doing that? So I think whether it's, you know, ELL students or um, any student in the classroom, the foundation of everything that will happen in my classroom are the relationships that I build with my kids. Nothing else matters to them until they know that I love them and I care for them and that they can trust me. Once we've built that relationship, then everything else will happen. And I tell teachers all of the time that you have to be, just like you're teaching you know, the kids how to add, you have to be very deliberate and very explicit when building those relationships. It's not just something that happens naturally. It takes work, it takes time, but it's it's worth it tenfold or more throughout the year. And so, you know, it. I think back, I had a little boy in my class two years ago. He came from pre-K and the pre-K teacher, and I will admit I saw behaviors from him in pre-K and I, I was I was worried because I knew he was coming to my class and I'm like, whoo, he's, he's going to be a challenge. But towards the end of his pre-K year, I started trying to spend some time with him, getting to know him, bonding with him. And then when he came to kindergarten the next year, from day one, I worked really hard to keep a relationship with him and kind of, you know, gave him, you know, special little jobs in the classroom. And I never once had an issue out of him as far as behavior went because I had invested in him and the relationship between the two of us. And that's what made it a successful year for him. Um, so it took a lot of time and a lot of work, but it paid off because it, it made him successful and that's what matters. Um, so the one thing that I do to, to real build relationships with my kids is I eat lunch with my kids every single day. And it's funny when I talk to teachers about this because you, I, you can always, like if I'm, doing a conference or something and I start talking about this, I can look at the audience and I can see like 
two types of reactions. Like immediately you see people who are like shaking their head and they're like, nope, not doing it. And then you see the people who are curious about it. Um, but every single day I sit in the cafeteria with my kids and eat lunch with them. I don't have to. By law in Tennessee, I have a 30-minute duty-free lunch period. But I choose to sit with my kids and eat with them because I think about, as an adult, what do I do to bond with my friends and to build relationships with people? We eat. We go to dinner. We go to brunch. That's how we, that's how, as people, that's how we, we bond and, and form those, those relationships and friendships. So why not do that with my kids? And so, um, yeah, the cafeteria is crazy and loud. You know, I've had to really work to ignore what happens in the cafeteria and just focus on my kids. And I started doing that about two and a half years ago. And it just made like a complete game changer in the classroom. Um, just the because we sit there for 30 minutes, we just talk. It, there, it's not about school or learning. It's just a bunch of people hanging out together and talking. And it, it really made um, and it continues to make a huge impact um, in the classroom with our behaviors and, and those relationships. And so, you know, like I said at the beginning, it's without relationships, nothing else happens in our classrooms. And so whether you choose to eat lunch with your kid or, or not, we got to find ways to, to really build solid relationships with our kids. Right. And, and I know from my personal experience and a lot of the teachers I've, you know, we've talked to and just that I know the relationship piece was never taught to me in my, uh, university, like teaching program. Like I, I can hardly remember a teacher ever mentioning, you know, not just the importance of how to build relationships, but actually how to do it. Was that something you were taught like in your teacher training program, or is that just something you've knew or learned and developed over time so exactly like you no one talked about it and like even the bigger picture of classroom management was never taught or really discussed when I was in school and so as with building relationships it's just something that I've learned and and tried to to do better at over time um, and I can look back through all of my years of teaching and Every year I can pick out one child and I'm like, man, if only I'd worked a little bit harder at that relationship, then things have been a lot better for them and for me. And so, yeah, it's, it's, and I, I think we're starting to see a little more of that classroom management relationship piece in um, teacher prep courses. Um, so hopefully it's changing, but no one ever taught it to me. No one ever talked to me about it. Just something that, that, kind of threw thrown the fire and had to figure it out. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, back to your point about, you know, the state of education, I think that was one of the biggest challenges for me is I think intrinsically I knew the value of it, but I was so overwhelmed as a new teacher with all the stuff I had to do and all the expectations, um, you know, on test scores and those things that, that I oftentimes, you know, put it to the back burner, you know, in favor of, whatever curriculum or content. And, you know, that's, that's the regret I really have. Like you said, looking back at, at the opportunities I missed to really build relationships with kids because I was not making them a priority. And I just, and like you said, I, I love that it's, you know, whether it's on social media or whether it's in trainings, I think it's becoming a lot more prevalent 
um, that it's not just, you know, teacher talk, that there's a ton of teachers who are actually out there in the field doing that. Right. And the thing is, is when you build those relationships, all of that other stuff, the tech orders, the academics, it all happens. And it, it happens more effectively because the relationships are, the, <clears throat> are there and that it allows everyone to be successful. Um, but it, it's so easy um, for all of for all teachers to get overwhelmed and, and discouraged with all of that stuff that gets in the way. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's one of the nice things about, you know, the, the teacher community, especially the Instagram teacher community is they're so, you know, you don't have to go far to find somebody who's, you know, saying a positive word or, you know, showing, you know, how great the profession really is. So, um, I'm very thankful for that. Uh, switching gears just a little bit. Uh, I know you're, you're passionate about literacy and we're going to talk about your program a little bit, but I did want to get your take on, you know, what happened in, in Michigan last week to where there was a court ruling that said students were not entitled to literacy as a part of their education. I just wanted to get your, your two cents on, on that ruling and what you think about it. It, I, the, it's another example of people who aren't in the classroom, who don't have any idea of what happens in the classroom, trying to decide what we should be doing. And how, how can anyone think that we don't have a right to literacy? It, it just, it, it's one of those things where it's like, it almost leaves you speechless. Like, like what, like, where does that come from? How did you decide that? Um, and it's, how in the world do we expect our kids to succeed and, and improve, you know, their, their situations and, and break the cycles of violence and poverty if we don't give them literacy? That's, you know, it's the key to, to, to moving um, up, up and moving on and, and making a better life for, for everyone. So how, how in the world can a country like the United States have someone saying that our kids don't deserve that? It, it just... It, it's infuriating, uh, and it's it's just mind blowing that that that's where we are um, in our country right now. Yeah, and and I when I first was reading about it, it, it took me back because I have a history background to you know how often you know literacy has been used as a weapon to keep people down. Absolutely. You know, um, you know whether it was you know during the slavery time or you know after you know, post-Civil War during Reconstruction or even, you know, we just, uh, with my students, you know, towards the end of the year, we watched the the movie Selma about, you know, the marches with Dr. King and how many things those people had to go through just to be able to to get the right to vote. And I, I just was so surprised that you, I don't get, like you said, I don't get how somebody doesn't understand that literacy is the most basic right of education. I, it, it's hard to really do anything else educationally if you are not literate. Right. I just... Well, and even beyond education, like how do you, how do we expect our kids to function as adults if they can't read and write? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's just crazy. So, um, but I think it, it goes back to, again, that what we first talked about at the beginning of the podcast the importance of teachers speaking up, rising up, and using our voices to advocate for our kids and and what's the what's best for our kids and demand 
um, that our kids have the best education possible. Um, and the, the more we speak up, the more we can affect change. And I think that court ruling is, is a powerful example of why we have to continue to get louder and louder if we want um, our kids to be successful. Yeah. You know, when it's, it's, like I said, it's something and, you know, that's, we're, we're trying to, to just do our little slice of that pie to just, you know, continue to get the story out there because, you know, pot, and, and we're lucky now to be in a world where the podcast is such an easy medium for us to get out and speak. And, you know, I'm so grateful to the teacher community because so many people have been willing to come on here and just talk and, you know, really put their stories out there. I think that's powerful. And like you said, too, you know, the more we put our stories out there, you know, our kids see it. Our kids know, you know, what our stories are. So I think, you know, to your point, I think that's super important as well. Absolutely. So we talked a little bit last week and, you know, this is kind of one of the key things we want to talk about um, is, is the boot camp you run. And, and, you know, before I, I asked you about, it, I just, I really love the fact too, that when we talked, it's, it's born out of your teaching experience. So could you talk a little bit about your boot camp program and, and how it can help teachers with their students? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, for years, first few years in kindergarten, we taught, you know, during literacy, we taught a letter a week. Um, and, you know, we're, it's the spring and we're, we're still teaching a letter um, and a sound, but yet the kids are at this point expecting to be reading at a certain level. And I, I, I just started growing more and more frustrated because I felt like we were, we were, we had this expectation of them reading, but we weren't giving them the tools to do that. And so um, finally, one year, I thought, you know what? I'm going to try something. Um, I'm a big believer in taking risks in the classroom um, and, and finding, you know, trying to find the things that work. And if, if it fails, that's fine. We'll, we'll figure out why it failed and make it better. And so this one year, I thought, you know what? I'm going to teach my kids a letter and a sound a day for 26 days, the first 26 days of school. <clears throat> my thinking was if I can give them access to the letters and sounds in the first 26 days of school, then I'm going to see an improvement in their reading because, you know, within the, by October we have all of the letters and sounds and we can start to apply them to reading. And so that's where the boot camp was born. Um, it started with ABC boot camp. So I did it that first year and saw tr tremendous growth. And so it's something that I was like, okay, that's amazing. And so I wanted, I wanted that in other classrooms because I, I knew that, I know that a lot of teachers and a lot of classrooms struggle with the same thing. And so that's why I created originally ABC bootcamp. Um, and when I saw that, I mean, we were talking, 80% mastery of letters and sounds in the first 26 days of school. And then we're looking at 95% of my kids, most of who come in speaking no English, reading at grade level or higher by the end of the year. Um, and so I wanted, I wanted that kind of success in every classroom across the country. And that's, that's kind of where the boot camp came from. Um, and when I saw the success of ABC boot camp, I thought, why not take that same model and just apply it to skills throughout the year in both literacy and math. And that's how it turned into the TKS bootcamp curriculum. Um, and so it, it, like you said, it was just completely born out of, 
a need in my classroom. And so I, I took a frustration that I had, found a solution, and, and created a curriculum that's not only research-based, it's developmentally appropriate for the kids, um, and it's the data proves consistently year after year the effectiveness of the TKS bootcamp curriculum. Nice. Nice. And, you know, one of the things that we talked about earlier and, and we both are impressed with is, is how, how much professional development for teachers is now really being teacher led. Um, and, and, you know, kind of connecting with your boot camp, how important do you think is it, it is for teachers to be learning from other teachers? It's vital. If, if we're not learning and growing, we can't teach our kids because everybody has room to improve. Everybody can learn something new. Um, and I, you know, I think it's, I, I think about teacher evaluations, especially in my school and how everybody gets all worked up over them. Um, and I'm the same way I get, you know, they bother me and you think, well, that lesson was a great lesson. Why didn't I get a five out of five? And then it, you know, I have to take a step back and think because there's always room to grow. There's always room to improve. And so if I want to be the best teacher that I can be, then I have to be learning and growing. And I have to be, you know, reading books, going to conferences, um, social media. I have to be doing the research to, to find new and better ways to teach my kids. Um, and so... It, you know, like I said, it's it's vital to the success of, of our classrooms and of our students um, and of public education as a whole. Right. And and I just feel like, uh, you know, I started teaching in 2009 and really it's only been within the last couple of years that I've been more engaged with teacher um, developments as as it's become you know, learning from other practitioners. I felt like at the start of my career, I was getting so much from somebody who, like you said, was not in the classroom or it, or you could tell it had been a long time since they were in the classroom. And it, it, a lot of it just lacked the, the personal experience and, and the connection to what was really going on in classrooms. And, um, it's so much fun to, to, like you said, to be at conferences and be in rooms with other people who are passionate about what you're passionate about. Absolutely. And I always tell people one of my biggest pet peeves is somebody who's not in the classroom trying to tell me how to teach. Like, I'm like, you, you have no idea. Now, you could be out of the classroom for a year or two, and I think it, you, you can still be fairly relevant. But education changes so much and so fast that if you're not in the classroom, you really don't have a... An, a good solid understanding of what it's like to be a teacher in the classroom at that point in time. Um, and I, like you said, there, there's nothing like being in a room full of teachers um, who want to be there, who want to grow um, the, the energy in that room, the passion in that room, the inspiration in that room Um is is phenomenal and it it can truly be life-changing for for a teacher um, and and that's what when we started our elevate conference that's really what we wanted was we wanted teachers to to, to come to elevate um, and to walk away with very simple very practical 
ideas and, and strategies and resources that they could implement in their classroom tomorrow, because um, I'm a big believer in that. Um, I'm a big believer in keeping things simple. Um, I don't believe in big over-the-top type things. Um, but, but also one of the things that I really wanted, and part of why we named our conference Elevate, is because I want teachers to know that they matter, and I want teachers to know that what they're doing um, truly is changing lives. And so I wanted them to feel elevated. I want them to, to leave our conference um, with a, a with their toolbox full of tools to use in the classroom, but I want them to also leave feeling inspired um, and excited and encouraged to go back into their classrooms and make a difference. Um, because even with all of the best tools in your toolbox, if, if you don't have that the passion and the excitement and the energy, the tools aren't going to help you. Um, and so that's that's kind of the twofold mission of Elevate. Um, best practices, and it, the only thing I share at our Elevate conferences are things that I do in my classroom that have been successful with my kids. Um, and then the other one, of course, like I said, is, is just inspiring teachers, um, validating them and letting them know that, that they're doing an amazing job and what they do every day matters. Um, right. Because, and and when are your upcoming events with Elevate? So we have one. The next Elevate will be July 21st in Boston. Um, so coming up pretty soon, which we're super excited about. And then October 27th, we have Elevate Orlando. And then we already have for next year, for 2019, um, we have San Diego. Um we're working on some some other dates um, and, and cities for 2019 as well. Um, and we, we actually have a pretty big surprise planned for, for 2019 for Elevate. So um, a lot happening, but yeah. Yeah, well, we'll have to, yeah. uh, you'll have to come back on when you're ready to dish the surprise. We okay, would, I would we love would to. be happy to have you back on so we can be a part of your surprise. We like, we like surprises. So yeah, we'd love that. And you guys don't have to make it to an elevate conference. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have to, for sure. You know, I'd, that one in Boston would be awesome. Cause it's, a, it's, my, it's I, that's actually my birthday, but uh, two, two weeks to get to Boston, I think is maybe a little short notice, but we absolutely <laughs> are. Uh, I'm kind of eyeing the San Diego one, San Diego in 2019. That sounds pretty good. Yep. I don't, I've heard San Diego is beautiful every day of the year. So Oh yeah, it's amazing. It's a it's a beautiful city. The weather's gorgeous. Yeah, I'm excited to go back. Yeah. All right. So to to kind of put a bow on it, these these last few questions I'm asking you are they can be you know teacher related. They can be just from your personal experience. So, um, what's the best advice you were ever given, and who was the person that gave it to you? Um. So and not so, it wasn't so much advice that that she gave me, but it comes from my mom. Um. And it, my mom taught me to, to just be myself and, and not worry about what other people thought. Um, my mom was, as, was hilarious and crazy, um, and she didn't care what people thought of her. She would dress up in costumes and, and, and just be goofy and, and silly and just completely uninhibited. Um, and and that's, that's the best advice that... that that I've ever received um, was was that that just to be you, um, be happy with who you are, and don't let other people stop you, um, and just get out there and have a blast. Um, yeah. And that's that's what I try to do in life, and that's what I try to do in my classroom as well. 
Yeah, perfect. All right, so what's what's the one thing you wish parents knew about teaching? <laughs> um, that we we do the very best that we can every single day and that the, the kids that come into our classroom truly become our kids. And, and we, we, we love them and we care about them and we want nothing but the best for them. Um, even on, on, on days when everyone's frustrated or upset, um, I still love my kids and I, I still want them to go home happy and I want them to be successful. Um, and so I, I, I wish parents would, would know that. Um, and I think most of them understand that, but I just, I want parents to know that, that we're doing the best that we can and we want nothing but the best for their, for their children. Right. You know, and, and, uh, my co-host Wilkie is in his doctoral plan, plan for education. And one of the things he's putting together is, uh, you know, how to improve, you know, parent teacher relationships. And it, you know, it seems like we should both on both sides. And, and this is coming from my personal experience because that was maybe one of the things I struggled with the most in the classroom was the parent communication just because I was nervous and I, it, it, that was really just what it was. But, you know, we, we both should have an understanding that we both want what's best, but I just at times can't figure out why there's such a disconnect. I think, I think some people, some families um, are intimidated by school um, because of their prior experiences. I think language barriers, communication barriers can make it hard. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I talk a lot about this um, in workshops and conferences too, is that parents want their kids to be happy and successful. And that's what we want. And if, if we, like you said, if we can find ways to, to communicate that and get on the same page, it makes everything easier. Um, something that I started doing in my classroom um, a couple of years ago that's made a big impact with, with parents and families is I do something called Bring Your Family to School Day. Um, super easy, zero prep other than sending home a note. Um, and what it is is that the parents come in for our family, the families come in for an hour, and they actually work with their child in their centers. And so the kids actually take the parents to whatever center they're working on, they teach the parents how to do the centers, and they do it together. And so for an hour, the parents get to be in the classroom and they get to actually see what goes on in the classroom. They get to see what their kids are doing, how they how they do it, and what they're learning. Um, and it's every year I have almost 100% attendance on, on those days um, with families. And the parents are always so grateful um, and thankful because they actually get to be involved in what we're doing. And they get the kids love it because they get to teach their parents. And they get to show them what they're capable of. Um, and all I had to do was send a note home and, you know, set up an hour um, block of time. And it, it makes a huge difference. Um, and I, cause I, I think the parents want to be involved. They're just, they're, they don't know how. They're scared. They're intimidated. And so that was a very easy way to get the parents um, in the classroom and involved. Awesome. That's a really cool idea. That's so awesome. So um, if you could give a, a piece of advice to a teacher who was struggling, what would it be? ask help. And I think teaching is, it can be, it's very isolating. Um, if you, if you think about the fact that we spend all day in our classroom with our door closed with our kids, with very little adult interaction. 
Um, and so that, that isolation can make it hard to ask for help. And then there's always the pressure that if you ask for help, you're going to be seen as weak or failing. Um, but we can't do this alone. Um, we're all in this together. We're all in this for, for one reason and one reason only, and that's for our kids. And so we have to support each other. We have to encourage one another. We have to lift each other up. We have to stop teacher shaming each other. We've got to stop being negative on social media. And we've got to be willing to, to reach out and ask for help if we need it. We, have, we need to ask for support. If people are asking us for help and support, we need to be giving them that support. Um, because we, if, if we do it on our own, we're, we won't be successful. Um, we're all on the same team, and we need to be playing like a team. Awesome. All right. So we, being that we're a podcast, we, we usually ask the question, you know, what's the best book you've ever read in the last 12 months? But we've get, been getting a lot of people that have been talking less about, um, you know, books. So what is either, you know, the best podcast or the best book or, you know, the, the best learning thing that you've come across in the last year? Um, so... Right now, I am in the middle of reading the um, the next step forward in guided reading um, by Jan Richardson. Um, actually, we've we've been doing a summer book study um, with the book, um, and it's it has me really really excited to, for guided reading next year because um, I always I always know that that's my weak area, um, and so this book has has really got me pumped up, and I'm excuse me I'm super excited. Um, to to get back to the classroom and and really improve my guided reading instruction. Yeah, you know, and, and I think that's such an important point too. You know, that we would want to emphasize to our listeners is the fact that you've got a ton of experience and yet you're still you're still hungry and you're still excited to learn. So I think that's 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 something that kind of goes underappreciated as you know we get to be veteran teachers that. You know, there are some of us that just kind of get stuck in our ways, and we really appreciate the fact that you're you're still out there digging and and trying to find new things. Absolutely, and you know, I want I want my kids to have the best, you know, the the best classroom, the best education, um, the best days every day. Um, and the only way I can can do that is is to be my best, and that requires me to to continue to grow and learn and research and and come up with new ideas and, and to be willing to try things and take risks and not let the fear um, get in my way. Right. All right. So what is your proudest accomplishment to date? Um, wow, that's a hard one. Hmm. Gosh, I don't, I, there's so many things. Um, <laughs> wow, you got me on that one. <laughs> then list. Then list a few. You don't have to narrow it down to one. You can list a couple, or three, or four, or five, um, or whatever you want to do. I mean, you know, I think my, you know, my my marriage to Jason. You know, that's one of the things I'm. I'm incredibly proud of um you know the 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 blog the website how much um it's impacting education and um and you know our elevate conferences that's something that that 
that we work incredibly hard on um, and to, to hear some of the amazing feedback from those conferences um, is, is something we're incredibly proud of. Nice. Nice. Perfect. So um, before we ask you the final question, uh, people that I, I don't think there's a lot of people out there that aren't following you guys, but for those people <laughs> that, that aren't, um, you know, where can they find you? Where can they learn about uh, the boot camp and Elevate and all that stuff? So we're all we're on all social media platforms. Um, you can find us just by lo- searching for Kindergarten Smorgasbord. Um, our website is thekindergartensmorgasbord.com, which is full of resources and videos and and all of the information about the boot camps. And our online store is thetksstore.com. So it's it's tksstore.com is the website, um, and so that's where you can get. Um, the boot camps and, and all of our resources that are available online. Right on, right on. So um, before we ask you the final question, just want to give you know, a quick appreciation for you, you know, taking some time. I know you got a busy schedule this summer and uh, you know, sharing with our listeners. Like I said, we're just, we're just trying to do our part and we, we really appreciate the fact that you're going out there every day and, and doing your part to, to pour into this profession, which we all you know, are so passionate about. So we really appreciate that. Well, thank you. Um, and thank you for having me. And thank you for all that you guys are doing um, for yeah. teachers and education. Yeah. yeah. All right. So our, so our final question that we've got for you is, um, when it's all said and done, what do you want your legacy to be? Um, that, that I did the very best job that I could do, um, as, as a husband, as a teacher and as a human, um, and that, that I was a good person. Right on. Well, Greg, really appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me.